Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Raptors. Let's get a crack it. Presented by Flex Car. Let's go. Season four. Do you remember discussions? Let's talk a little basketball here. Yes. Who told you? Who do you think he's talking He's going to make the right play. I like winning. Are you rubbing that in? Yeah, I am. <laughs> it was a damn parade around there. It's a brotherhood. That's how you're going to be able to be successful. You know, there's no culture like the Boston Celtics culture. What's up, everyone? This is Mark D'Amico. I just want to say thank you for giving us a listen or a watch. And please do not forget to rate, subscribe, or review us. We appreciate you giving us a listen. And here's the next episode of View from the Raptors, behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Flexcar. All right, May 2nd, 2017, may be the most magical, the most emotional performance in the history of the Boston Celtics. Maybe, in my opinion, in the history of of the NBA, when you consider everything that was going on on this day when Isaiah Thomas comes out on the court in game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Washington Wizards and drops 53 points on his sister's birthday. She would have been 23. She just passed away tragically in a one-car accident two and a half weeks before that, and this man just floated out on the court and put forth one of the most incredible performances I have ever seen, the Celtics have ever seen, and the NBA has ever seen. We're going to get into a conversation with Isaiah. He's coming onto this podcast shortly here uh, in a few minutes, and he talks all about what was going through his mind, what was going through his body on that magical and emotional night when he dropped 53, a career-high 53. But before we get into that, Sean Grandy and myself are going to get, just give some context as to what was going on at that time around not only Isaiah but around the Celtics. So, Sean, I know you've, you've got this photographic memory. When, when people ask you about May 2nd, 2017, what do you say? I say that it was the, I don't want to say it was the end of the story, it was the top of the mountain of this that the Celtics and Isaiah Thomas had built for the two-plus years he had been here. You have to understand, to understand the city's love affair with Isaiah Thomas and Isaiah Thomas's career resurgence to become one of the elite players in the game. Where was Isaiah and where were the Boston Celtics in the winter of 2014, you know, 15, when Isaiah nowhere. Thomas got here. They were nowhere. Well, right. And it was almost by design. And that's what I think people forget now when the Celtics have been an elite NBA team now for six years, for seven years, for eight years, and you're coming off the new Big Three era. Everyone forgets about Brad's first year and a half here. <laughs> the Celtics won 41. Brad doesn't forget. He doesn't. No, because... <laughs> In that 13-14 season, he'll tell you how long NBA games were because Brad would MacGyver these lineups and different ways to defend or whatever, and he'd have a 12-point lead. In the, and then you look up, it's like only the middle of the second quarter. And there's, no, and there's LeBron on the other side, and there's a, you know, Tim Duncan on the other side, and they're the elite players, and the Celtics couldn't hold these leads. They just didn't have the talent. And the Celtics 
And Brad Stevens ended up way over 500, right, as a coach. The Celtics were 41 and 87 when they lost on Super Bowl Sunday before on the exact day that Pete Carroll decided in the worst coaching decision in history to throw the ball rather than run Marshawn Lynch into the end zone. On that day, the Celtics lost at home to Miami to drop to 41 and 87 in those in that year and a half. And the names, it's fun now to think of the names that came through, right? It's Gigi there's, there's a long list of them. When we say Vitor Favarani, <laughs> he wasn't a casual Celtic. He started on opening <laughs> night. He was a starter in Brad's first game up in Toronto. This was the era right before Isaiah gets here. Mark, this is when Jameer Nelson and Tayshawn Prince and all these players were cycling through. Austin Rivers was here, but he wasn't, you know, for a week. He was on the roster. And the the cavalcade of players, Brad and I were about to re- record our pregame in Indiana, and we're walking back from his pregame presser to the locker room, and I'm keeping I'm looking down at my phone, because even then we were doing it back in twenty fifteen, and I'm like, uh, and I'm seeing Jeff Green stuff yep, in Indiana. I'm yep. like uh, Brad, before we start, you may want to call Danny. And because the, the players right you have in the, the locker game. room, this game is about to start. You're not going to have the players you think you have. And are you even <laughs> going to have enough? And that is the, it was, it was losing, but it was also this chaos to go from the new big three era to what, you know, Danny and Brad hoped was going to be next. And the Celtics certainly needed a catalyst because Brad, as I said, had MacGyvered a lot of things together, but the Celtics didn't have an offensive force to drive some of these games home. And then Isaiah comes, and they do. Somehow, this guy turns into an all-NBA player, two-time all-star, almost 30 points a game in the season that we're talking about here. How do you think that he turned into that guy that was just taking the league by a storm? I mean, this, this was – I've seen a lot of great performances, and Jason Tatum has been dominant throughout his career. But seeing this guy average 29 a game at five foot nine might be the most dominant performance that I've seen for a whole season with the Celtics, just considering that he was only five foot nine and getting this done. I don't know how he did it. And playing, you know, again, the, this, the core group around him, and it's a, it's a core now that we think of affectionately. Avery mm-hmm. Bradley and Jay Crowder and Jonas Jarebko is in this conversation and all of the, the players that were helping the Celtics get close to winning games. But when I think of Isaiah's time here, I think it is the most symbiotic relationship I have ever seen between a player and a team as far as them needing each other to achieve what was possible. Yeah. Yeah. And Isaiah just fit perfectly as the, that offensive catalyst that could score. And he was, as our buddy Kendrick Perkins likes to say, he was a bucket at that point. You know, when he was healthy, he could score. And he could always do it. He had had a big game against the Celtics playing in Sacramento a couple of years earlier. And there's always those guys that you, when – you know, that are kind of Celtic killers, and you look at them and you say, wow, could he, this guy really be that good? But it was the perfect fit. It was the one thing they lacked, and the, you know, the defense was obviously restructured around him. Remember, he was coming off the bench mm-hmm. in 20, start, yeah. and in that year he could have been sixth man, but he had split between, mm-hmm. you know, between the Celtics and coming over in the trade, and I think Jamal Crawford won again that year. But it, it took a while to get him in the starting lineup. But again, once he did, once this thing took off, and then fans who were appreciating the rebuild, were patient for the rebuild, were excited to watch young players again, just as they had 10 years earlier mm-hmm. with, with Al Jefferson <laughs> yeah. and with that Delonte group. Delonte West. Delonte yeah. West. Fans loved that team because they were young and they were rising and they were overachieving. 
And that's exactly what this team did. So there was already the potential for love affair, but Isaiah was a spark to the flame. And then there was this player that people identified with. It's hard to identify. You know, Jason Tatum is as beloved as any athlete now in the last 10 years. We're entering Jason Tatum's era as the guy in Boston. But how many of us are going to be 6'7 with all world gifts and live that life? People related to Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Fans related to him. Because, you know, pick the, remember, pick me last. Again, the last pick in the draft. You know, and eventually this thing, you know, became flipped. You had when Kyrie Irving, Kyrie was the first pick in the mm-hmm. draft. Isaiah was the polar opposite, always overlooked. And for most of us, we can identify with being overlooked and not appreciated. And, you know, everybody counting us out. That's the life that most people live. You don't live a Kyrie Irving life. You live an Isaiah Thomas life. And that love affair, and then you have the element of kids falling in love with Isaiah Thomas. And then they wanted to cheer anyway. And then when he was winning games for the Celtics, and all of a sudden, a team that this rebuild was supposed to last three years, four years, five years, and within a year and a half, even this first year we're talking about, Mark, 2014-15, the Celtics were they were 16-30. to They were out of the playoff race. This was not a conversation. And this was the first magical part of that team with Isaiah at the head of it was making the playoffs in 2015 when they would win on the road. They were winning all these road games on back-to-backs that made no sense. And it, be, it laid the foundation for a 2017 season in which nothing we thought we knew made sense again because Isaiah was carrying the Celtics through fourth quarters and suddenly this team that had been one of the bottom five teams in the NBA was inexplicably one of the top five. And one of the guys alongside him, you just mentioned, Avery Bradley, yeah. was his good friend, both uh, Seattle, Pacific Northwest um, area natives. Uh, Avery was the guy who came and pulled him out of his media session and brought him into the back yeah. and told him what had happened on that tragic day, April 15, 2017, when China tragically passed away in that car accident. You know, when my career is all said and done and someone asks me, what are the images that stand out in your mind? There, there's a few that come immediately, and one of them is that moment, the very next day, game one of the playoffs for the Celtics against the Chicago Bulls, and Isaiah Thomas is sitting on the sideline with his head in his hands, and Avery's right there next to him with his arm around him, trying to console him and trying to help him get through to just to just get to that opening tip when the game can start and your mind can get lost in the game. That to me was, and again, this is two and a half weeks before the game that we're talking about tonight, but that to me, it doesn't get more emotional than that and more emotionally involved for everyone surrounding the situation than it did that night. The lesson I remember, and it was, it was visceral, and I remember being on TV that day and talking about how it's a crazy life. Any of us who are in it, you know, we join the circus. You know that. Like, it's going to take over your life, and there's crazy travel, and the people you're working with are not the people you're working with the next day. But what you have outside of the insanity, when you get off the plane, when you, get, you have your family, and that is supposed to be the constant that is there for you to relieve the stress and bring you the peace that sometimes it's this crazy work life doesn't. And to have that taken away, to lose uh, you know, a sibling and a younger sibling, I remember saying that day, is not part of the deal. And 
I, Isaiah, I thought people, I remember them asking me, are you surprised he's playing? And I said, that's the least surprising thing there is, that he yeah. needed to play. He needed to be in his, you know, his environment. The great players, almost any player will tell you, step across that line, and that is your world, the world in which you have spent the majority of your life preparing for. So that is where you feel safe. That's your safe space. It seems insane for us mortals to think that millions of people watching you and having their eyeballs on you and 20,000 people in an arena all staring at you is a comfortable, safe place. But it is. I'm sitting here with a microphone in front of me right now. This is the life that I've chosen. And sometimes I think all of us are more comfortable in our professional environment when we can shut out you know, the, the real world. But your point about the team being there and the fact the Celtics were opening that playoff series at home and the fans were there mm-hmm. for Isaiah, who had built that yeah. bond that I've been talking about over those two and a half years, I think it was critical. And I think what I remember saying that day was there were people in, in Seattle saying, you know, releasing things like, well, some of Isaiah's inner circle is coming to be with him for these games in Boston. And it occurred to me that day, I said it during the game and on the pregame that day, his inner circle at that point was Boston. Mm-hmm. And the fans and the organization and, again, the end. And that's why it's so important when we talk about that day and that magic that happened to understand two and a half years that came before it of this relationship that came out of nowhere as most relationships that are life-altering, Mark, <laughs> as you know, as we all know, most relationships that change our life came out of nowhere. And this one did within the confines of a player city and so that night, as we all know, Isaiah takes the floor the day after his sister passed away. The Celtics lose that opening game. They actually lost the second game as well. The Rondo series. Yep, the Rondo mm-hmm. series. And actually, we'll get into that in this podcast season as well when Rondo touches yeah. on that series and we have him as a guest. But then the Celtics rattle off four straight wins and they get to that next series. And the crazy thing that people don't remember when they think about this Isaiah performance in game two is what the hell happened to him in game one. He got his mouth busted open. Sure did. Lost a tooth out of his, the front of his mouth as he was scoring 33 points. And in the one day between game one and two, I, I think it was something like 12 or 16 yep. hours of, of oral surgery that he had to go through to be able to put his teeth back in just to be able to play the next day. That was the wildest experience I've ever seen uh, of someone going through a medical emergency between two games of an NBA playoff series. They scores 53 in the next game. It's why this is the Isaiah thing, as time goes by, is going to continue to grow as a fable because it all really happened. It was all inexplicable. When the Celtics won the championship in 2008, that wasn't inexplicable. <laughs> they had Hall of Fame players as one of the greatest. To it was supposed to happen. It, it was going to happen at some point. It happened that first year. It was one of the greatest teams ever. We see great players. When LeBron James came into the league in 2003, you thought, well, this guy has a legitimate chance to become the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Nobody said when Isaiah Thomas came into the league, he's going to become one of the top five players in the league, and he's going to lead a magical playoff run and almost every single night do something you didn't think it was possible he could do. And he did. And you, did. you, and over you look and over. at game two, uh, 53, and like I said at the start, it just felt like this guy was floating through the air. It, it really felt like there was some unseen force that was helping him to accomplish what he was accomplishing throughout that game. 
in, incredible finishes at the basket, step back threes, dropping Mark. He was abusing Markeith Morris throughout that mm-hmm. game. Actually fouled him out in overtime with one of his crossovers, step back. Uh, actually, the, the, the shot that actually sealed the win. Uh, but just watching him float through that game is just what, what my, my memory serves. It just looked like something was carrying. It was like angels in the outfield type of stuff that I was witnessing in real life. Yeah, the famously, you know, Joe Dumars in the 1990 finals hit a famous shot against Portland, and he was playing that night not realizing, and his teammates and the other Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> as we tie it all together, he knew that uh, his father had died earlier in the day. And that, you know, Isaiah always said that he felt that shot, it was guided in, right? And there was that magic was part of this, this Isaiah time because it really felt as if all of us, particularly fans, teammates, were feeling Isaiah's pain. And as he went through the tragedy of his sister and that first series, and it really felt when he came back with a busted mouth, and there are those images on TV, right? It felt like everybody was going through his pain again because the, the connection there between those two things. It's like when David Ortiz grabbed the microphone and said, this is our city in more colorful language than that, it was because he had become one with Boston. And there were, among the many remarkable things about the Isaiah period of time was how little time it took for that to happen. David Ortiz had been here for Not years. Even. Right, exactly. But there, there are players who've been other places and they get here and you know right away there's no better example than Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett was, and Boston mm-hmm. were two soulmates that just eventually got together. And once they were, you said, where have you been my whole life? <laughs> and that you felt that a little bit with Isaiah. And that's why the connection combined with the spectacular things he was doing on the floor, which at that point, I don't know if you could make the unexpected and the shocking and the spectacular ordinary, but these performances, the one we're recollecting today, the Washington game, if you were a Celtic fan, you had seen it already (laughs) earlier in the year, that game against Miami. You had seen it all year and really for the better part of two years, but as as a starting player in 2017, I keep saying top five, he was fifth in the MVP voting, which is outrageous when you think about it now particularly as the game changed and smaller players a few years later, the Celtics get Kemba Walker, and the game had changed where there's so many 6-7 wings, it becomes really difficult for a player 6-1-6-2 to exist the way teams are playing offense now. And this is not that much longer before that. And here is the Celtics creating an MVP year around, you know, Isaiah Thomas and going to the, the conference finals. When Isaiah got here, Again, the reason I mentioned 41 and 87 is that it's not like you were a short cab ride from the conference finals. The conference finals were worlds away. When you make the leap in 2013 to make the trade and start over again, that is a leap of faith that an organization makes. History is concrete. We look back and say, oh, it only took the Celtics a year and a half. And again, they were one of the elite teams again. Ask the Chicago Bulls after Jordan left. Ask any of these franchises that, you know, now. Conference finals around here, people are like, well, yeah, the Celtics go to the conference finals every year. There are franchises that have never been there yeah. that dream about it, and here the Celtics in just a year and a half are back in the con- you know back in the elite conversation. And in 2017, if you had said midway through that season, the Celtics are going to be you know <laughs> going to be in the con- conference finals, and 
all of a sudden there you are, and Isaiah's right in the center of it, having these, you know, magical performances that are, you know, everyone had come to expect. And this magical performance, it, it started from the opening tip and yeah. carried through till literally the final second of the game. He opened this game with the first eight points of the night for the Celtics, 20 in the fourth quarter, and then he scored or assisted on 11 of their 15 points in overtime after he forced overtime. It just it never stopped after it started at the opening tip. And again, this, this moment and these games are so critical. The Celtics, first of all, fell behind. I want to say in game one, they were down 16 nothing. They had played the Friday night game in Chicago. The game one got moved up yep. because both the Wizards and the Celtics had I won their series. So they played yeah. Sunday afternoon after the Celtics were in Chicago Friday night. I, believe, I want to say we stayed over in Chicago Friday night, flew back Saturday, and then you had the early game Sunday. And it's like, wait, what's going on? And it's 16-0. And the Celtics came back to win that game. And these moments where Isaiah is saving the Celtics over and over again in game two, the Celtics, except for game six, didn't get a sniff of these games in Washington. So you had to protect home court. The series is remembered for the Kelly Olynyk game in game yeah. seven, but you had to win game one. You had to win game two. If, this, if Isaiah doesn't come out of the phone booth here in game two with his you know, mouth all busted up, <laughs> the Celtics probably don't win this series. And there is no conference finals in Washington, which had been there, right, since they won the championship. So, again, these little, these little moments, these are what makes heroes are not just scoring 53 points, but that the Celtics needed every single one of those 53 to win a game that allowed them to win the series. Are you friends with Ian Eagle? You, you, what, I mean, we're, uh, we're doppelgangers, right, I mean, broadcast-wise. A, a couple of his calls during that game as Isaiah's going nuts – Isaiah Thomas, he's not human. 50 seconds to go. Washington up by one. Isaiah Thomas. He's not human. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas is a machine. Beal there defensively. Crowder the screen. Isaiah Thomas to the hole. Isaiah Thomas is a machine. These are the things that the announcer of the game on TNT are saying about this guy that is just defying all logic in game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals as a five-foot-nine guard just carrying a team where it needed to go. That's the beauty of the national, you know, in the, at, in the playoff time, you get the national broadcast. And they're, listen, these are elite and all friends of mine, right? I am Brian Anderson, I think, had, had at least one of those Isaiah games in this, in this stretch. You're not seeing it every night. Mm -hmm. And if you were a Celtic person, we had seen, you know, Max and I had sat there and we had seen this yeah. thing. Every every night, the development we of already, it from, yeah. from him coming off the bench. You already knew he wasn't human, yeah. right? And to do it on that, you didn't know if he could do it on that stage. Remember, you had the playoff series where he played well against Atlanta in the year before. He had the you know the Schroeder dust up in 2016, <laughs> the eventual you know the future Celtic. But that was the he literally when I you know recall Celtics history. I'm always going to be associated with the championship and that call and who knows what we're about to experience, right? In, you know, in the, in the mid, mm -hmm. in the mid twenties, but it is Isaiah's 16, 17 season. It's always going to be on my short list of things that I got to document in real time because it did come so much out of, out of nowhere. And when I or Brian Anderson or Mike Breen or whatever would come and do a game and they would see these things, their visceral reactions were it was defying what their brains had seen for all, all the years they had done it before because we were seeing something that just felt like it wasn't supposed to happen. And it, it wasn't, but it was. And, and I think the way that you and I feel this tie 
to that season and, and, and that short stretch with Isaiah is exactly the way, uh, to your point earlier, the entire city, all of New England, why everyone loves this guy so much, Isaiah Thomas, and why everyone was in his corner. And after that game, he's walking off, and David Aldridge at the time was the sideline reporter, and he just asked Isaiah, where is this coming from? How are you, how, how are you developing enough energy to do this? Isaiah, I, the whole NBA community is, is in your corner. You know that. We know how tough these last couple of weeks have been, and when, especially this weekend. Where are, where are you finding not only the strength to play, but to excel in this hotly contested environment? My family, my, my friends, they tell me to just keep going. My sister wouldn't want me to stop. The only thing about it is once I leave this gym, I hit reality and she's not here. What was your reaction when you were talking to your listeners after you saw that history unfold? That you try, you know, my job has always been and when you're, when you're doing the Boston Celtics, you get the opportunity to do it a lot. You're documenting history in real time and you know moments are happening. That one day, I don't know how many people were doing podcasts, you know, 2017 or whatever and stuff, but you knew one day there was going to be a podcast about what you're doing in real time. I remember walking to the bus for game seven in 2010, walking to the bus thinking, one day I'm probably going to be sitting on a podcast somewhere talking about walking to the bus and like taking a video of people taking videos of the team going on. Because these are the moments, you know, you're going to remember because when I came here from Minnesota, to take, you know, to become the voice of the Celtics, everyone then was saying, well, I haven't really watched since Larry Bird was there. I love those Larry Bird teams in the 80s. And you, you got that a lot the first couple of years because the Celtics of the 90s had, you know, chased a lot of fans away. And as the, as the new Big Three era was happening, you're realizing these are times that people for 20, 30, 40 years are going to remember. That stretch for Isaiah, you knew was something that was going to live on its own in Celtics history. We didn't know what was coming. We didn't know, you know, the Kyrie years were going to happen and over and over trips to the conference finals and Ime getting here and going to the finals in 20. You didn't know that was coming, but you knew you were in the middle of something special. And as all these games were unfolding, it seemed, it seemed he was having these once-in-a-lifetime games every week. <laughs> and that was what made the year so amazing. He would have a night that you'd say, oh, man, he had... 20 in the fourth quarter, you know, I'm referencing that Miami game when he made the, you know, the nine threes, and you're realizing, wow, this is a career night. We're going to be talking about this. for, And then he does something similar the next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, and it was truly special as it was going on. And one of the things I remember most is that he knew it. He was a basketball historian. He understood the context of what was happening as it was happening. And the day after, I remember we were talking just before we, we started recording here, showed me a video of your son, Jack. He was eight or nine years old. He was five. Five years old he at was that five. time. And, and Sean walks into the room and just hands him the box score. And explain <laughs> your son's reaction as he saw through a piece of paper what Isaiah Thomas had done the night before. So at that point, he was five. I didn't realize, uh, you know, we didn't have... Jason or Deuce at that point to realize that you don't have to put your kids to bed early. They can actually stay up and watch the, you know, and watch the whole game. But, you know, my son, who was probably three, four, five during the Isaiah years, 
and naturally, like most kids, gravitated to Isaiah, and he became his favorite player. And it got to the point during that season where when he would wake up in the morning, you know, if he would wake up, if he was next to me or whatever, and I would have the, I would keep the box score from the previous night, and I would hand it to him, and he would, you know, he would look across the box score and see what Isaiah did because he knew enough about the numbers to know that there was that really big number next to Isaiah's name at the end of the column. And on that, I was that day when he woke up. I literally, I videoed it as I handed him the box score at age five, and I watched his little face go across and his little five-year-old eyes pop open as he sees the number at the end, and he's fifty-three point. Oh, wow. he beat his record, you know. Fifty-three point. Like he, he knew even then. He knew it was like a career high. He knew it was special to see it. And you know, again, get overly emotional with your kids, but that's when you re- when you start seeing it through their eyes, you realize the effect that sports has on people, and particularly on kids. And Isaiah's effect. The, the beauty of Isaiah's effect on Celtic fans was that you could have been five, you could have been 80, and he still made you smile with these performances. This entire team did. And listen, Isaiah was at the forefront of it, but there were a whole bunch of guys. We're talking about Avery Bradley and the Jarebkos and the Jay Crowders and this team that was doing things. By the way, this team ended the Golden State yeah, win streak. At home, right? yeah. Out there, the the home court win streak out at Oracle Arena, and they were doing these remarkable things. And of course, Isaiah was at the forefront, and he should have been. But it was a great tribute to the players around him, to the coaches of that team, that they created the environment that allowed Isaiah to make this magical historic season, leading to this magical game that we're talking about that lives forever. There, no one can ever touch that season, that sixteen seventeen season. Celtics won championships before, probably won championships again, but that year, as a cable car turn from what was to what was going to be, can't beat it as a story. Sean, you just used the word twice. Magical. I will not use that word lightly when it applies to the game of basketball, to performances that just stand out in the history of the game, and especially of this organization. That night was magical. And there's no other word to describe it. And now it's time to listen to Isaiah Thomas describe in his own words what his experience was uh, and, and what helped him to put forth this magical performance that we will remember forever here in Celtics basketball. When the time finally comes and you need a car, there are not a lot of options. Buying a car is expensive and APRs are through the roof. You can lease, but everyone knows there are a million fees and loopholes with those. That's why FlexCar is a total game changer. All the hassles of owning a car, you know, stuff like shelling out hundreds for new tires or crossing your fingers every time the check engine light comes on, they're all gone when you drive a Flex car. It's truly zero stress living. Even in the middle of the night, you've got 24 seven roadside assistance ready to help. At the end of the day though, it's really all about peace of mind. This one annual expense covers all the unpredictable things that come along with having a car for as long as you have your flex car. And that, my friends, is a no-brainer. Even better, our exclusive promo code RAFTERS gets you 100 free miles at sign-up. So go check out FlexCar today. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. 
I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right, man. This is a part of this podcast that I've been waiting for for years, man. We launched this podcast four years ago, and I've wanted this guy on the podcast with me ever since the start. It's Mr. Fourth Quarter, the king of the fourth, IT4, Isaiah Thomas, man, one of the most um, respected and loved players that I've ever seen come through these doors in Boston. How the hell is life, IT? Life is great. First off, thank you for having me. You know, we talked about this for a minute, trying to get on the show, so I appreciate you inviting me. You know, let's go go back to memory land a little bit. But everything, everything is great. Life is good. Family is good. My kids are healthy. I can't complain. I see you posting pretty much every day the workouts you're going through individually, the workouts with your kids. Where are you at with that and trying to, to find a spot somewhere in this league? Um, you know, I'm just staying ready. I'm 34 years old, healthy. Um, just try to, you know, stay as mentally and physically ready as possible. I still want to you know, pursue my NBA dream of, of you know, being on the roster and, and contributing and taking advantage of any opportunity I get. You know, most importantly, just try to give a helping hand because I know I can help an organization, you know, in more ways than just putting the basketball in the hoop. So I'm just staying ready. Um, um, that, that's all I can say, you know, working out each and every day. You know, my mental is at a good place to where no matter if it does happen or not, you know, like, I, I've given it my all. I've controlled everything that I can possibly control. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I'm just going to continue to stay ready, continue to be around the game. And, and you know, hopefully at some point I get a call and, you know, I take advantage of the opportunity. You know, I'll spend the time with the family and just, just stand in the gym, stand in the gym as much as I can. As the great Tony Allen once said here in Boston, stay ready, ain't never got to get ready, right? I know you're staying ready. Hey, Let's, let's turn the clock back. Like you said, memory lane, man. Um, Sean Grandy and I talked at the, at the start of this episode, and the one thing that he kept going back to over and over is there was this perfect timing of you meeting the Celtics and the Celtics meeting you. It was like you both needed each other at that very moment for both of you to take off and get to where you wanted to get to. What do you remember about how quickly that love affair kind of started and grew here in Boston between you, the fan base, and this organization? Man, it, it was like, literally, it was day one. Like, I remember flying to Boston, meeting with Danny, taking my physical and things like that, and he was just telling me, like, man, this city is going to fall in love with you, right? Like, I'm not really hearing them because I just got traded. I'm thinking the Celtics is in rebuild mode, so I'm kind of hot about that. <laughs> they were in rebuild mode till you got here. <laughs> so I was kind of upset about that, so I'm not even knowing where my mind is. But when I flew to L.A., uh, we played the Lakers the first game. I remember I, I ended up having a good game. I think we ended up losing, and I got ejected, right? This is when I— I remember. <laughs> this is when I knew Boston was different. So I'm walking in, I'm walking in the tunnel. I get back to the locker room. And I'm thinking, you know, people are going to be upset because I'm upset at this point. I'm like, damn, I just lost us the game. A good opportunity. I remember that our straight, our former straight coach, Brian Dude. I walk in and he's, he's like smiling. I'm like, and I don't know anybody at the time at that point. So he's smiling. 
And then I think I remember asking, like, why, why are you smiling? Like, it's a close game. I just got ejected. He's like, he's like, Isaiah, you don't understand. Like, the city of Boston is going to, he said, he said the F word. He said, the city of Boston is going to F it. Well, once I got ejected, he's like, that's the energy and attitude that, the you know, the Boston, the, the city of Boston loves. At that point, you know, everything's going in one ear or the other. I don't, I don't know what he's really talking about. But that day forward, like when I had my first game, I think a few days after that in the garden, like I understood what he was speaking on. It was like I had a standing ovation when I got subbed in the game. And I never even played a game in Boston. <laughs> I think we might have played two games before we played back home. So like when I when I experienced that my first few games of the homestead when I got after I got traded. It was like it felt like college. Like the energy felt like college. The love I, the love I got right away. And you know, since that day, it was, it's been the same way. No matter if I'm playing for the Celtics, no matter if I visit visit Boston, whether I'm on social media, like the love has been so genuine. And I don't, like I don't know why, but like I take it. Like like it's been, it's like you can't explain the love we have. You know, the city of Boston, the organization. Everything about the Celtics and myself is like, you know, it's like a storybook This fake, I guess you could say. You said you don't know why. I know why. Like, it's brutally on, uh, obvious. Like, you can relate to the regular guy, right? Like, you're five foot nine. Like, it, you made every kid out there feel like they could be you and that they would be you. And then how hard you played, the emotion that you played with. And it doesn't hurt how well you played, right? Like you add that all together and the crowd just fell in love with you. But the craziest thing to me and Grandy and I talked about this is there's been other guys who have been in the city of Boston or in New England who have captured the hearts of the fan base, right? Like you've got David Ortiz, you've got Paul Pierce, you've got Tom Brady, all these guys who have captured the city in the, in the New England area. But you did it in like two years. They needed five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to get to that level. Why did it happen so fast? I'm not sure. I think I could piggyback on what you said earlier. It was like I needed an opportunity. I needed a team to give you an opportunity that I always felt that I deserved. And then the city, not just the, the, the organization, but the city, I think, needed a player like myself. And it just came together. Like you named it all those legends. Gary players that I got to build relationships with and and be friends with. And I was only there for two and a half years. You would think I won, you know, the championships that the Celtics are known for winning and the city of Boston is known for winning. But it was just something that, like, you can't, I guess you can't describe. Because my love feel, my love is the same for the city. Like, it feels like a second home to me. Anytime I come back to Boston, anytime I talk about the Celtics, any place I'm at in the whole entire world, people bring up, man, I, I, I love when you play for the Celtics. I like you, you, you made me fall in love with the game. So like, I'm appreciative of, of the opportunity the Celtics gave me. I'm appreciative of the love that the, that the, the Celtics world, the Celtic nation, the city of Boston gives me to this day. Um, it's genuine. It's, it's like, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's there. And, like I said, you would think I, I played 10 years there and won 10 championships, how much 
love that that I get each and every day, each and every year that I, you know, that I'm around here. It felt like 10 years. And I, I don't know why. I think it's just because you were so great every single night. Like it, it was Grandy said it was like defying logic. Like our brains weren't working and understanding how you were able to do what you were doing. Averaging 29 a game, 50 in the MVP voting, it, it was just nuts. But all of that kind of culminates with that 2017 playoff run. You're only there for two, a little over two years at that point. City's in love with you. You're in love with the city. And it's time to make a real run. Obviously, as we know, some really difficult circumstances came up before those playoffs. Your sister passed away in a tragic car accident. Uh, and it really felt like you leaned on the city and the city was there for you at that time. Like they wanted to make sure that you felt that love and they were going to support you, whether you played or not. And you did wind up playing that very next day. You guys lost the first couple games, but then you come back and win the next four against Chicago to take down um, the bulls in that first round series to move on. What do you remember about that series and being able to bounce back from being down Oh two to winning four straight and advancing? Yeah, um, that was a difficult series. Obviously, everybody knows what I was going through. Um, not just, you know, off the court, but uh, on the court. I, I wasn't 100% as well. So I think it was it was difficult in the sense of, like, I was going through some real shit, like, in real life. And then my teammates didn't know how to interact or act around me. Like, the energy of what we built the last two years kind of got thrown out the window just because, like, I was going through a real life situation. Mm -hmm. First two games, like, like physically, I was there. Mentally, I was back at home. You know, I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't there. So I thank my teammates first and foremost for like sticking it with me, like being so respectful of uh, of everything that was going on, and then most importantly, just like being there for me. Like each and every one of my teammates, not just my teammates, the culture staff. The, the the video coordinators, the the um, equipment managers, everybody was literally there for me. And I think that's a big reason why the city also fell in love with me because not only did my team go through this situation with me, the whole city went through this situation with me. Like I was able to continue to play games and, you know, continue to fight through what I was going through, but I was going through it with a whole entire state, like a whole entire region. My whole entire fan base, they love Celtics basketball. So I think that's a big reason why, you know, the city loves me as well because we went through something that was so tragic and, you know, made something out of it for that two months or whatever long it was. So to, you know, rewind back to the, the you know, Chicago series, it took up until like game two, you know, like game three when we got to Chicago. And I remember just talking to some important people that I had in my circle. And they're telling me just like, like if you go, if you're gonna play though, like you gotta try to be as normal as possible, especially around your teammates, because they don't know they're walking on eggshells as well, because they're sensitive about the situation. They don't know really, you know, how to, you know, treat the situation or treat me at the time. So once I started to open back up and be myself just a little bit, at least during that time of us taking the bus to the arena, being at the arena, you know, taking the bus back to the hotel. Like, during that time, I had to try to be as normal as possible around my teammates because I could I could see it took a toll on my teammates 
just because they didn't know, you know, how to interact with me. They didn't know how to go about, you know, the series because I was like the energy to the team, you know, like everybody helped each other. But if I brought the energy, everybody followed and the energy was, you know, taken away just because of what we was going through. So game three, four, like I tried to be as normal as possible. And I think the energy changed in the in the building, the energy changed around the organization. And we just became, you know, even more closer. Then out to number one seed versus number eight seed. We hear the noise of the worst <laughs> number one seed in NBA history. Like we hear all that. So our swagger and our confidence start to come back as I start to get a little more comfortable and try to act as normal as possible, you know, with the situation I was dealing with. So, you know, we end up being able to win four games in a row, which very tough, but coaches made great adjustments. I started to play a little better. Our energy as a team, we came together a little more. And you just seen the sense of urgency, like we wanted something bigger than, you know, feeling sorry for what we were going through. And I say we because everybody that was a part of the day-to-day infrastructure of, you know, the Celtic basketball was going through what I was going through. So, that's why I say we. So once I was able to, you know, overcome that just a little bit, ease the mind of everybody else. You could just see a change in a lot more. And that was, that was amazing because we fought back when nobody thought, you know, everybody kind of rolled us off after those first two games. Boozing at home, being the number one, yep. two, D-Wade and all the guys, you know, that big energy going back. Rondo turning it back like he was with the Celtics again. Okay. <laughs> so you hear the chatter. It was it was a lot going on. Obviously, you know, you know, I was going through what I was, but for us to change out of ground, you know, that that you could just see the light at the end of the tunnel with that team when when it came to, you know, championship that year. You know, it was just unfortunately how it ended. But yeah. So when I'm watching it all unfold in front of my eyes coming back from down 2-0 the way that you're playing the way that you're carrying yourself all that was going through my mind is like the one word herculean like this was a herculean effort that you were bringing to the table this five foot nine guy is bigger than life like carrying an organization when really they should be carrying him it was incredible to see and you guys move on to the next round you open up game one against washington right i know you remember this down 16 nothing out of the gates in game one. Somehow you guys battle back and win that game. And why I say somehow, it's because of you. You guys battle back and win that game. But in the middle of that, you get your teeth knocked out. And, like, you're going into surgery the next day. By the way, you dropped 33 points in that first game to help the Celtics win that game. But that day in between, I don't think a lot of people understand the wild ride that you were on in that one day between games one and two. Rewind the clock to what you can remember, because I'm sure you were all numbed up, all all over the place, and drugged up for 24 straight hours. But what was that like? How long were you getting the oral surgery to get your teeth fixed? So I mean, that was a, that was a lot. That whole you know days leading up to to the game one was a lot. And I was flying back and forth from yeah. Seattle. Um, I flew I think from Chicago to Seattle. My sister had her funeral, and I came straight back. I think that game was at like a one o'clock game or twelve o'clock game. So yeah, the game game one for some you guys won in Chicago. I think on a Friday, and somehow they gave you the early game on Sunday. It was crazy. Yeah. So I remember laying in Boston at like seven in the morning from that you know red eye mm-hmm. from Seattle. I remember going back to my house, 
my wife like you should get some rest. I'm like it, I might as well just stay up at this point. <laughs> I like I go to sleep. It's just gonna it's just gonna be too much. Game one happened. Like you said, we're down sixteen zero. Like they caught us. Like never in our never in any world would I think we would be down sixteen up. Like game one, it's hyped in there. Everybody's excited. Um, we get down sixteen zero. It feels like it feels like we're down thirty zero. We started to make a little comeback. I remember I tried to make a steal on Otto Porter. I think it was his elbow hits my hits my mouth, my tooth, and my tooth comes out. So I could see something like like from our peripherals. I could see something fly out. It's no pain or nothing at that point. So it's like I don't know what it is. I see it drop on the ground, but I think. It was, I think we had another possession. So the two was still on the ground. I remember, I think someone ran and grabbed it. I did. You, it was you. Okay. <laughs> and that possession carried on. We go back down that way. I'm looking at Ian LeCirc, former trader. I'm like, my tooth came out. My tooth came out. I think we scored. There's a foul on the other end. And then that's when I go run and pick up the tooth. I'm not feeling nothing at that point. I'm like. I remember um, I get subbed out the game. We go in the back. The doctor says, that's a fake tooth, right? I'm like, nah, I never had my tooth knocked out ever. Like, because because he said how easy it looked like yeah. to knock. They thought it was like a, you know, a fake tooth. So we try to push it, put it back in. They say if a nerve is not damaged, you can put the tooth back in in a certain amount of minutes. So they stuff it back in. They push it back in and hold it for like maybe five, ten minutes. It don't move. I I run back out. I think the first or second play that she come right back up. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, it's over for that. I don't I don't feel no pain throughout the game. Like I'm good throughout the game. Then when the game ends, I start to start feeling pain once the drilling they go away. I gotta go to the dentist directly after that game. So little do people know I stood six hours after that game in the dentist. Oh that day. So they were wiring my thing shut, trying to figure out if we're gonna do uh, uh, um, trying to figure out what they're gonna do with my teeth. So then the next day, I go. They 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 give me all the meds. They numb me up. I go home. I can't even really open my jaw. My left side of my mouth is like swollen. The next day, I gotta go in for seven hours. Some deck day. <laughs> so thirteen total. Thirteen hours of dental surgery between game one and two. So they put a temporary in my mouth. Temporary, they try to figure out how the beat off, how my teeth look. They put a temporary in there. I play game two with a temporary. And then I, I don't want to go past that. So, like, you might want to talk about game two, but in between games one and two, I was 13 hours in the dental chair. And from that day on, like, I'm scarred from the dentist. <laughs> I was just going to say, you never want to go back to the dentist. Like, even when I go, like, it could be the most simple thing. I'm like, can I go to sleep? Can you put me to sleep? Because I'm just, I'm scarred from, like, I wasn't put to sleep those 13 hours. It was just. You were awake for the whole thing. Trying to be numb and try to fight through it. And that's the only thing I could possibly do. And that was probably the one of the craziest moments of my life. Like, having to deal with that on top of trying to beat an actual NBA team in the playoff front of the world, like. Dealing with, you know, my sister's passing, like it was so much going on on top of you know my hit. Like I was yeah, I'll fighting through that. So it was just 
so much going on with me having to, you know, just try to. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Figure it out on the fly. Some of the pictures from that game, like I hope you've got them printed and hung up in your house when you're smiling and you got that giant gap between your teeth. I mean, it's priceless. My my kids talk about like deep in my daughter, you know, she wasn't there at that yep. moment. She she laughs about it all the time. Like she laughs that my teeth, you know, if you and my teeth are fake, like all of that. Like she thinks it's a joke. So it's it's all fun and games. Yeah. Uh, it's all fun and games, especially after what you did in the next game. So a couple days later, you go into game two, and it, it's even more emotional because it is your sister's birthday that day. Um, and all you did was walk out on the court. And legitimately, I said this at the start of the episode, that was the most emotional, magical performance that I have ever witnessed with my own eyes in person in the NBA. And I've seen a lot of basketball. That's at the top. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how it came to happen. And that's what I want to ask you. Like, how did you go through what you had gone through the previous couple weeks, then 13 hours of dental surgery in the last couple days, to come out and put up 53 points to take down the Wizards that night. How did it happen? I, I, I don't know how it happened. Like, it was just one of those games where like, it felt like I was really in the gym by myself. It felt like I was working on moves by myself. It felt like I couldn't hear anything. Like, I wasn't hearing the crowd. I wasn't hearing anything that was going on. I was just so locked in. Not necessarily at a moment of the game. It was like, this is a big day for my family as well. Like, you know, it's my sister's birthday. Um, she just passed a few weeks ago. So it was very difficult for me, but it was bigger than that actual game for me and my family. So I was just in a zone. Like, that's a zone I've never been in. I, I tell people, my friends, like, if you ever seen the movie The Sixth Man, like with the with the with the, with, the, with Marlon Wayans, I yep. think it is. That's what it felt like. It felt like somebody was there with me. It felt like when I got in the zone later in the game, it felt like I was at the YMCA with my sister like I was when I was a kid. You know what I said that it looked like? And, you know, take this as you may, but it looked like angels in the outfield. It was like you were being carried, floating in the air, doing, like I said, like something that my brain could not understand how you were doing this. But that's... What it looked like to me, it was like you were just floating out there. Didn't matter who was in front of you. It was going to happen. It didn't matter. Like, like that was a perfect description of it. Like, Angels in the outfield. It felt like, like I was there by myself, but somebody was helping me. Like, it was, it was, it was the moments I can't even describe. Like, I've scored 50 in the NBA a few times. I scored 50, like, in my life a lot of times. Nothing, like, was like that. Like, every shot, every time I touched the ball, it didn't matter who was on me. Like, they were guarding me two or three guys at moments of the game. I wasn't even seeing anything. Like, 
every moment, it just, it like when I look back at it, every moment, it felt like got bigger and bigger every possession. And when I was doing it, it was like I was there by myself. Like, I, I didn't see the fans going crazy. I didn't see me, my teammates going crazy on the bench. Like, I didn't see none of that. I was just doing moves I always did and just getting to my stuff. And it was like, it was obviously the best moment of my career because I could picture my sister, like, smiling, like, Dad, you're just doing what you usually do. And then, like, my parents, I could, I could, I could see my dad probably – even though he was going through the worst time of his life, I know he was probably smiling at the TV like, damn, you know, my son is, is doing his thing on her birthday. So, like, I didn't have no emotion in that game. If you see every basket, like, I didn't even smile. Like, I, I was just, my mouth was super big. Like, I was just running back. I was just running back every time because, like, my, like I told you before, my body was there, my mind was sore out. So, like, Anything that was happening was just, I felt like it was just supposed to happen like it was. It was wild, a wild experience for me to watch with my own eyes there at TD Garden. You scored the first eight points of the game for the Celtics. So it was like you knew something, at least watching, something special was about to happen. Did you feel before the game like something special was about to happen? So... I didn't feel nothing special was about to happen, but me and my, my sister Coker at the time, Jerome Allen, we always had some bets before the game. Like we always had like, you think you could get 40 tonight? <laughs> I think you get 45. Like, how much you want to bet? How and about 53? Friendly bet. So it was like, I remember us talking. He's like, you can't get 50 today. I'm like, why not? Like, <laughs> like that's that's the mold I was in. Not saying like I guarantee the 50, but He's always said 50 a few times. The time I played Miami earlier that year, I told him I was getting 50. That and you got 52. And I, yeah, that was on the back-to-back. -back. I don't yep. know why I felt that way. I just was like, let's bet I get 50. Like, And it was one of them nights. That day, earlier that day, when I, you know, shoot before the game, he's like, I bet you can't get 50. Like, it's set up for you to get 50. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, why not? You know, my energy's not amazing. So yeah. why it's it's all good. Like I it's what I do. And then and then it just happened. Like like I say, later in the game, because before at the beginning of the game, it was like a normal game. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I, I it wasn't like like you said I had the first eight points, but it was like in the flow of the game. Towards the end, it felt like it was just one on one here. Whatever. <laughs> well, you scored twenty points during the fourth quarter. It felt like every possession my teammates you got. <laughs> And I was at the park, so it was a dope feeling, but I was so lost in the game and everything else that was going on. It just, I was just getting to my spots and rising up. It was just the flow of the game, and it happened to be just be 53 points, I guess. Like every possession just felt like stuff I just worked on every day, and it just happened to just be going in. It was one on five, and the five had no shot. That's the best way that I can explain it, but... Uh, unfortunately, for the person I'm about to speak about, he got the brunt of it. It was Markeith Morris. And I know you're probably tight with him, and, and especially through Marcus with your time playing with Marcus. But he was the guy that you were going at quite a bit. You actually fouled him out of the game later on. But as I said, 20 points during the fourth quarter, you get to overtime. You scored or assisted on 11 points during overtime. 
And a few of them stand out to me. And I know I spoke to you about this before we came on here, but it was this one play about a minute left in overtime. And this was the play that sealed the game. You were crossing him up and then you did this step back and he sticks his hand out and he clips you on the wrist. And somehow you just flick the ball up and somehow it goes in and it's, it's an and one basically to seal the game. What do you remember about that play uh, and, and what you what you had to do to Markeith Morris? So look, me and the twins are good friends. Like we played Phoenix together. Um, those were like, those are some of my closest teammates. So the whole series, it's a lot of back and forth. To a point where I'm thinking we're probably not going to speak after this series. Like that's how the crazy John's a good friend of mine. Like all those guys were pretty cool friends of mine. During that series, there was so much talking, and you know, leading up throughout the year as well, it was so much talking and back and forth. There's so many things that happened to where, at one point, I was like, "I'm cool." I remember telling my friends that was in, in town, like, "I'm cool with not ever talking to him again." <laughs> so, when you see every possession and he's around, and I score. I'm just looking at him every possession because I'm not even talking at that point because it's just so much back and forth. So when later in the game, a lot of the the the, the possessions we had ended up in switches at the end of the shot clock, and he was always in the switch. And I think the game one, he sprayed his ankle, mm-hmm. so I already knew his ankle was messed up. He couldn't really move like he wanted to. On top of him talking shit the whole time. <laughs> so and then every time you're I'm like, I'm just gonna abuse this guy. And look, every time I go in the hole, he's hitting me with a little, yep. little playoff stuff. So it, it was just leading up, and it happened to be him on the island every time, like three straight possessions. To piggyback on that play, it was just one of them times where I'm like, okay, I'm back at the crib. It's one-on-one, game point right here. I crossed two times. He puts his hand in the cookie jar. I get the ball up. There was some angels in the outfield type stuff. I don't know how the ball got to the hoop. It just did, and... As you can see in that, I, Avery's picking me up, and I'm telling Avery my bad because I, I just messed up on the defense. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask you what that was. I'm like, my bad, bro. He's like, yeah, I saw you see my bad. I'm like, what? You're bad. You just sealed the game. But I'm not even thinking that. That's how real we are as a team. I'm like, yeah, my dismissive ball take defense. I know he's going to be hot, but that's what I was saying. So fast forward. I think the twin, I think Mook is in the in the stands as well because every game, Marcus is, I think, is in the first. Yeah, game. yeah. At that point, I'm not talking to him either. Like, I'm not talking to him. <laughs> All their entourage, their homies that they have around them, it's like, I feel like our friendship's over. I feel like our friendship's over. So the fast forward throughout the whole series, we don't say anything to each other. Like, we don't say not one word. And then when the series ends, it's just the, you know, fast forward. I remember he came up to me, he gave me a hug. He's like, I love you, bro. Mom said, congratulate. Like, it was all, like, it was all family stuff. And if you would have heard all the stuff that was being talked in during the series, you would have thought we would never speak again. It was, it was, so it wasn't a personal, but it was just because, you know, we would both try to win a playoff series. So I'm, I'm going to get you out of here soon. But I, I got a couple more that I got to touch on. When, when you look back at that series and at that moment, and I know your your kids were around, and they they probably understood it a little bit at that time. They probably understand it more now. But like, what are you, what are you gonna look back on and remember about that moment? What are you gonna tell 
your grandkids when your grandkids come around and they see this highlight on YouTube of you just doing the impossible? What, what are you going to tell them that you remember most? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm going to tell you, you can get through whatever you're going through. The toughest, the toughest, when you think you can't get through the toughest thing that you're battling, like you can at some point. Like, I felt like, not say I ever got through what my sister, you know, my sister passed and like I deal with that each and every day and the shit sucks. But during that time, when I was able to get to the gym, that relieved everything I was going through. So those two and a half hours in the garden or in a Aussie, you know, T's arena, like I felt like I was back home with my sister in the YMCA like old times when we was kids. So that was super cool during those moments. And to look back at those moments and see like those were like legendary moments. Those weren't just 20-point games. Those were like legendary moments in the playoffs against a really good team. So I don't really know what I would tell my grandkids. Like I, I just be like, you know, grandpa was he was a killer. And like like this is what a killer does. And that's what I was able to do. You know, shout out to all my teammates and everybody who allowed me to be who I was each and every day. Like I can't thank them enough. But like those moments I'm gonna cherish forever because not only the city and the organization, but my teammates went through real life situations with me. They will forever have real bonds for, you know, I forever love each and every one of them because they know what I went through. They know what they went through. Like, we get through something that you will never be able to break. I think that's why, ultimately, the love is there for those those teams that I played for. Like, those two years I was there, everybody always speaks about, you know, the heart and soul of those teams. And that was not just me. That was each and every person involved. During those years, I was like, like I get most of the credit, but that was each and every, you know, each and every person, each and every day. Like, I think also that's why the love is there too, because I, I, I treated everybody like they should be treated. Not like I'm a superstar and everybody loved me. It was never like that, and you know, I think that's the reason why a lot of people, you know, you know, seem to fall in love with, you know, what I'm about as not just a player but as a person. I'm one of those people, man. I'm always going to be a champion for you, and that's the exact reason why. Like, you treated everyone well. It didn't matter if you were scoring 30 a game. It didn't matter if you were scoring 53 in a playoff game. Like, you were always you, and I think that's why people appreciate you so much. And I hope that, you know, looking back at those wild, magical two and a half years that you were here, you can now have some context as to, like, exactly what you did. I hope you understand that, like, now there's kids who are – 18, 19, 20 years old who are buying tickets to come to Celtics games because of you. Like, you are the reason. Mark, that's crazy you say that because the more and more, like, I'm around, like, AAU and my kids stuff, and just, like, around basketball thing, people come up to me and really be like, like, you changed my childhood. Obviously, that makes me feel old. It's like, <laughs> that. The reason why I keep going, like, I don't know how many people I touch, but I know I can touch one in some way, some fashion. And when people come up to me and say those things, that makes me look back at that time. Like, I'm super thankful for those moments. I'm super thankful for the Celtics for giving me an opportunity that nobody really would. I'm super thankful for 
you know, the city bringing me in with open arms. Like I'm like, I didn't understand what I did. The records I was breaking, the the class I was in, you know, when I say the class, it's like the Bill Russell, the Larry Burrs, the the Kevin Garnett, the the list go on. I didn't understand I was up there with those guys and certain things I was doing until I was hurt and I was out of those moments. Because those moments for me, which my whole life, I always was onto the next. I was always so paranoid to like, man, it's just not good enough. So even when I scored 53 or 50, like I, I would go back home and be like, man, I should have had 65, really. <laughs> like I, I would just never satisfy until I was out of those moments and I was able to sit back and watch those those situations and be like, dang, like even with my kids, I, I sit back because they like watching all that stuff. Like I didn't realize how major I was doing. You know, I didn't realize how major, you know, me and my teammates were doing like at that point in time. On top of playing for the Celtics, like I wasn't just doing it for, you know, no disrespect to any small market team. I was doing it for like I go around the world and people be like, like. Yeah, and I tell the Celtics, I've never seen a player like the Celtics, Bulls, Knicks, Lakers. That's probably the four teams that you can go around the world and see somebody with a jersey on. So I'm like, I'm super thankful for all those moments. I'm super appreciative. Like, I don't take none of that for granted at all. Like, like I wish I could go back and be in those moments, you know, because it was so on to the next. Or I wish I could be in those moments now in terms of just I was such a killer. I didn't appreciate those moments at those times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I wish I could go back and just look in those moments and just appreciate what was really happening at, at those times. But, you know, you live and you learn. Um, I'm appreciative. I'm super thankful. And every time I speak of those moments, you know, I just have a big smile, even though I went through the toughest time in my life. Like, I always say I had the best years of my career, best year of my career that season, but the worst year of my life at the same point. So like if you let that see in, it's like it was super cool, but I also look going through some real shit. Yeah. No, there's no question about that. But you know, this episode is gonna be an opportunity, like you just said about like reliving those moments. Like I know Celtics fan base is gonna go deep on this episode because they want to relive those moments with you. Um that's what it's all about, man. Like you literally changed lives and you had an incredible run here, and that's no one's ever going to take that away. And I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I know the whole Celtics fan base does, and you know we hope we see you around here a little bit more often here in the future. And I can't say thank you enough for coming on here with us. You already know I appreciate you, Mark. Like I appreciate the love and support we've always shown me from day one. Uh, it's super appreciative. Like you know, I'm just super thankful. So I, I appreciate you inviting me on. You know, hopefully we could do something in the future for sure. Hopefully I'm in a game and then you interview me after I drop maybe like 15 and like 15. Love it. Love it. Let's do it. Mark it down. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck. And, uh, you know, hopefully we see it on the court soon. You already know. Thank you so much.